1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
2: Hi, everyone, and you're listening to What's the Crack? Today, I'm interviewing Professor Chris Pillman and Dr. Eunice Indome, both from the University of Waterloo in Canada. In today's episode, Chris, Eunice, and I find out what's the crack with substance use in older adults from a Canadian perspective. We talk about who classifies as an older adult, what substances are more frequently used, why substance use in older adults is called a hidden epidemic, and what are the treatment options for this age group. Now just as a little warning, there's some slight background noise that reduces the audio quality in some points, but it's totally worth sticking with it because it's a really interesting episode and I hope you enjoy. Chris and Eunice, could you begin by telling us a little bit about yourselves and what you do? Okay, so my name is Eunice Indom
3: and um, I'm a research um, project coordinator with the School of Public Health and Health Systems um, here at the University of Waterloo. My um, research area is mainly in mental health, uh, substance use, addictions I've um, previously uh, done some work um, with regards to older adults um, in alcohol use.
1: Great, so
0: um, thanks for having me, it's a nice opportunity to be here. Um, I've been a faculty member here in the School of Public Health and Health Systems for about six years, but I actually did my PhD master's here as well, so I have a long history of being here. My main area of focuses on mental health systems. And what that means is better understanding access to care, quality of care, um, and how we can better meet the needs of those with mental health and addiction needs. So I'm quite interested in the field of substance use and how it relates to mental health, and more so uh, older adults and and substance use through actually the work that Eunice has been leading on alcohol use in, in seniors.
2: Perfect, thank you both. Okay, so today we're talking about substance use in older adults, so this includes alcohol, as we just said, but also uh, illicit substance use or misused prescription uh, medications. So, Chris or Eunice, could you explain to us what this population age range actually is when we're seeing older adults and uh, why it is important to speak about them in particular?
3: Well, um, older adults uh, range anywhere from the age of fifty-five yeah. uh, and upwards, um, uh, usually uh, depending on the studies, some may um, classify them as sixty-five or older.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's that, a so. it's an interesting determination in how we think about and categorize age. It's when we say older adult versus you know middle-aged adult and younger adult, and really we should be thinking about a lifespan perspective towards you know many health issues, but particularly. With substance use, because as we might find, is substance use among some older, or categorize as older adults, fifty-five and older, may may stem from past life or prior—not past life, but <laughs> <laughs> depends on your perspective—prior life experiences uh, and exposures, and whether that substance use has continued and and evolved from the use of different types of substances over time, or whether it's a, a new and emergent condition. And so, fifty-five is actually, you know, uh, considered you know, a bit of a cutoff for older adult services uh, in mental health care in general and for older adults also. And, you know, it's a, it's an interesting period of life transitions, which is also important to consider.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. Um, what are the common substances of concern in older adults, if that there is a broad category for that?
0: I would say that's a the, the most sort of dominant area of concern tends to be alcohol. Um, that's the one we think of the most, and it's it's probably by the time we're thinking of older dolls, those who are retired, you know, or those you know dealing with complex health issues, it may be the one we we do think of as it's either a concern or it could be also, also thought of as the norm. Well, you go out, and you have a drink with your, your friends on Tuesday afternoon, or have some beers while you're golfing uh, with your with your friends and your retirees and so forth. Um, determining where, you know, that becomes a problem is, is kind of the hard part. Um, but the other areas that, that are, you know, often considered are misuse of medications too. Um, so that's a complexity with older adults are prescribed a lot more medication. You know, those might be medications that help older adults feel good and deal with their life issues. And so, you know, concerns can arise when, when misuse of those medications occur. Obviously, growing concerns or, or inquiry, I guess, is also around cannabis and, and the use of cannabis in older adults and where it might be advantageous from a medical perspective and where uh, it may be problematic. Um, but this is ultimately, that question actually is an area where we need a lot more research to better understand the, the scope of uh, substances being used. I've only heard, you know, it's an area of research I'd like to do, but it's in terms of anecdotal accounts, I've talked with persons that... You know, in charge of long-term care centers and residential care centers for older adults in Vancouver, and they have great concerns about substance use and the lack of focus on it. And it's not just substance use related to alcohol or over-the-counter or prescribed medications, but illicit use or problematic use of, of harder drugs, including things like painkillers and, and things like that, where older adults may actually seek them out and uh, and use them in, in dangerous ways. So it's an area where we need much more research.
2: Yeah, and I'm just thinking, is it, is in the research, is it split out for the older adults that are used as teenagers or adolescents and then grew up using the same substances and still use those substances? Or is it then broken up to then older adults that are now using lots of medications and then misuse them as an older adult? Do we know anything in the research that splits those those categories up or whether that's even important?
3: Yes. So, um, for the literature review, um, portion that I did, um, I also realized that there, there was the latent and, uh, the early and the late onset, um, drinkers, as they were called by most literature. Um, and this is specific to alcohol, but I assume with substance, other substance use, there might be similar terms used. Um, but for alcohol, yes, there were, there were older adults who had been Um, Drinking, not um, in a degree that uh, may have been harmful at a time when maybe they were younger, but as they have uh, progressed into the older adult age, it starts to become an issue when they have other health problems. And um, but with the late onset drinkers, um, it was more uh, life changes that had brought on the drinking. So say they they lost a close family member, a spouse, maybe their kids move out of home, they retire, and all of a sudden, you know, all these changes bring about the use of um, alcohol
2: in this case, or. And all understandable reasons for some sort of dramatic change in exactly. life. Exactly. Yeah. Um, when we're talking about uh, older uh, older adults with substance use, what sort of prevalence are we talking about? Are they? Uh, is it a lower prevalence than young, younger adults? Is it one of the bigger groups? Well,
0: um, it's really hard to say, to be honest, because some of the typical markers we might look for 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 identifying problematic substance use are more difficult to ascertain in an older adult. For one. They tend to consume the substances more in a private home setting, and they may hide it from family and, and, and case workers if they're involved with uh, formal care or home care services. So we you know may not become aware of the problem until a medical emergency might occur, let's say. Um, the other is, um, you know, often we benchmark problematic issues against how it affects our functioning in daily life, particularly going to school, going to work, managing our household and day to day sometimes older adults don't have those kind of responsibilities in the same way, particularly, you know, they're not going to work and so forth. So some of the typical markers in identifying problematic use are, are really, you know, tough to, to identify. So from a prevalence perspective, it, it is hard to say and I you know, I'm not I'm not prepared. I don't have an answer to to really give to that. Um I, I don't know, in terms of alcohol units, if if you have
3: um, and that's a difficult one because it's, it's hard to say, um, for sure that, you know, um, this is the, the, a number or put a number to it in my research uh, my thesis I had about 10% of older adults um, who had problematic alcohol use um, but that of course cannot be generalized And um, th- there's not an exact figure per se but w- what the predictions are in this case is that, that fig- um, figures as they are might grow um, just that because the age uh, um, the um, Older adults in Canada are growing and um, the aged population is becoming a lot more. Um, I think the prediction is um, to have, I've forgotten the number per se, but uh, about by 2020, those numbers would have, they'll be a bit more um, older adults compared to what we have now and um, would probably um, also put a strain on the health system if we have older adults with problematic alcohol use and
2: uh, less healthier older adults as well. Right. And keeping in mind what we just said there and what, um, Chris, you mentioned about not knowing the prevalence. Is this what... So when I was doing some research for this podcast, uh, the invisible epidemic kept on being raised. Is this what that's talking about? As in they're invisible because there's so many ways that we don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, we really... You don't know until a major problem tends to occur. And often that either is manifested through um, excess or, or additional sort of comorbid physical health conditions, you know, falls is, is, a, is a major issue. And that tends to be a breaking point for some older adults. And I don't, no pun intended on that, that was a, a poor, poor use of words, but um, when a fall occurs, um, that's when family tends to get involved and in, in maybe a higher level of health services and Social services, where you can start digging in and finding out what might be going on, particularly if we think about older adults living alone. And the other sad reality could be, and we don't know this. This is, you know, just an idea. Is is that for those who have been longstanding substance users, perhaps through their lifetime, they may not survive into older age. And so, teasing out that emergent, new sort of problematic substance use um, group versus longstanding ones. Uh, is is important to consider, but it may be affected also by uh, comorbid health conditions and, and survival into older age. I mean, the other area to think about, and this is maybe you know at lower levels of substance use or even alcohol, is is you know the the lifestyle factors where you have adults and people who who have used alcohol throughout their life, and it hasn't been problematic per se. That you know you have the softball game with with your buddies, you have some beers afterwards. Whatever. And, you know, for some folks, that's a long-standing tradition and brings enjoyment and social engagement and, and so forth. The problem is, is if, you know, the pattern of use doesn't change, but the, and it doesn't account for the, the natural changes that occur with aging. And so four beers is no longer just four beers for, for an older adult. And so the nature and way of, in which, um, substances might affect an older adult's health you know, need to be considered when we're thinking about defining something as pro- potentially problematic.
2: Is there any, for the treatment out there for either substance, uh, helping substance use or um, alcohol use disorders, is, is treatment tailored to age? Is there specific treatment for older adults or is it just alcohol use disorder help?
3: I think uh, for, say, alcohol use, um, most of the programs are open to everyone, so not just the um, younger adults, um, but also open to older adults. So let's say AA programs, Um, but there are also senior specific programs that do exist within Various communities, and um, usually these are uh, support pro. These are support programs for um, people who are older adults who may be um, struggling with any substance addiction issues, or um, and other community services programs um, in that sense that are open to everyone. So it's both, and also um, in terms of treatment, uh, from the literature older adults might be um treated a bit differently because the the approach to treating them um is usually a bit more the the word is being a bit more tactful um um or respectful of the fact that they wouldn't want to be seen as using uh, any substance or uh, there's that hesitation to try and um Link their substance use to it being a problem. So um, it's usually a more uh, an individualized or tailored program. I, I think for both the youth and also for older adults. But with older adults, I think um, it, it, there's a bit more caution um, in terms of um, medication that is given, um, given their age and how the body processes. Medications, and also other treatment methods might be a bit more tailored to the older adults in terms of um, giving that support system or network that they need to cover during the treatment process.
0: I think, and I think it's hard to say because it's probably jurisdiction to jurisdiction. There's differences that way. Um, There are some, you know, um, hospital-based services that have been tailored and designed for older adult care. Access to those services may not be equitable in any way, meaning that people who can afford to pay for those services can get them and those who can't, cannot. So we really have to think jurisdictionally, and I think only it's only very been very recently, like last few years, where there's been growing recognition for the need for more support and specific support for older adults versus how one might go about considering uh, support for maybe younger adults with substance use issues. So the Canadian Coalition for Seniors Mental Health has recently developed, you know, um, best practice guidelines around uh, alcohol use in in seniors, and you helped do some of the work towards developing that. Um, The uh, Canadian Mental Health Association, for instance, might offer programs from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but they do differ. And then, as you sort of mentioned, there may be pharmacological interventions in the medical community, hopefully, can work towards best practice guidelines in, in the use of those kinds of interventions. But um, how consistently that's done at a population level and and how consistently we have prevention and, and education and awareness programming available, let's say, for primary health physicians and training for, for them to look for the warning signs and uh, things that might be happening is, is I think, still an area of great opportunity.
2: Is this seen as a growing area and um, money being put in to help the older generation because of aging populations, knowing that Potentially in the future, it's going to be a bigger issue than it is today. It's it's I tough to say. We mm-hmm. haven't
0: seen, for instance, specific calls per se from the Canadian Institute for Health Research for more research on, you know, substance use in seniors per se. Um, the degree to which you know more research funding has been allocated or is being awarded in that way, we're not sure. It's hard to say whether or not there's been more allocated, let's say, to seniors. But if we think anecdotally and look at some of the the patterns in the literature, really this literature is only emerging in the last five years, maybe, which tells us that there is a growing recognition and interest in exploring this issue. So um, I think it's an emerging area of opportunity for research, policy and practice.
2: I was just thinking as well, I I don't think, I mean, I think we've touched on it without that specifically talking about stigma, but you mentioned then about the difference in uh, treatment and how... uh, Address addressing um different ages uh, among adults, and whether I was wondering whether this links with um, the stigma attached with mental health for mm-hmm. that generation, mm-hmm. and you know we've come a long way, say yeah. since my parents' generation um, on accepting mental health and like not normalizing, but you know as in being mm-hmm. able to feel comfortable going and seeking help for certain mm-hmm. things, does the stigma in that generation affect? I guess, the statistics of knowing who's actually suffering and those people coming forwards?
0: I think so. Um, it, it's, it's consistently spoken about not only for substance use but for mental health as well in terms of, as you, as you say, engaging people to, to think about both in terms of good practice to promote ongoing health and well-being and also to seek out support. You know, it becomes an issue in, in trying to assess need because individuals may be less likely to report feeling emotionally and so you have to look for different kinds if you're a provider or a family member look for those different warning signs in different ways some some of these things that may manifest more in a, in a physical way i mean the substance use of increasing falls and injuries that may be occurring from falls could be due to an underlying um, some kind of neurological physical health issue but it could very well be to, to misuse of medication or, or use of alcohol Um, similarly things like depression if you want to talk about the underlying circumstances as to why someone might be engaging in substance use you know there's different ways in which providers and and family as they say may need to think about understanding underlying depression for older adults um, that might look again for more signs of physical distress um, greater um, you know negative statements being made um, statements around hopelessness and things like that the person may not particularly older men may not be forthcoming to say, well, I'm feeling sad or really uh, I'm worried about dying or leaving my family or my legacy or whatever it might be. It may manifest in different ways. And so, so really developing strong, I would say, you know, population health literacy around. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall, whatever your next project
2: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
0: These areas, in terms of what are some of the warning signs and how to go about talking about these issues when they typically aren't the norm to talk about. Uh, it,
3: exactly, because um, aside from the fact that maybe family members may not... Um, Necessarily address the problem with the older adult, and um, the older adults themselves may not necessarily see it as a problem being that they they probably have grown up in the culture um say in the past it was okay to show ads of smoking on tv um as opposed to now where smoking cessation is more of a um the norm and you see the ads about the nicotine patches and um things like that so uh, there's more awareness now um on substance use um, there's there's more education on it um, and um, for older adults growing up in er a different era to what it is now it might take a bit of uh, a slower time for acceptance in some cases and also um, I think the approach to um, addressing it is also very important uh, so being tactful of course uh, it is but definitely reporting or even seeking help of any kind is usually um seen or, or there's a bit of stigma attached to how and who older adults might choose to seek help with if they even choose to seek help at all so.
0: you know we can always hope too that with um uh... The families of older adults and emerging older adults, as we'll call them, let's say, you know, 50, 55 year olds, that with hopefully the advances and reductions in stigma we've seen in those sort of generations, that at least that helps to be able to engage in that conversation.
2: Right. And I was just wondering whether the prevalence that we have or what we're seeing in today. For older adults using alcohol or substance use, is this similar to what other older adults have been in the past? So, say, let's say fifty years ago, the older adults fifty years ago were they experiencing the same things of um, the same issues with uh, substance use uh, in their age group
3: compared to now? Yes.
2: What I read was the
3: use of uh, substances in the past was not a sort of big deal. Uh, um, compared to now now there's more awareness people are more um aware of the the impacts on their health there's um sort of like a health conscious angle to it so compared to maybe 50 years ago where it was maybe the norm to tobacco um, whatever it may be whatever substance Um, So I remember the the argument being around the fact that now society is um, highlighting some of the influences of um, substance use on older adults, whereas in the past it, it may have just been, oh it's intoxicated but it's uh, it's going to wear out of the system (laughs) it's just (laughs) let's just keep you know going and it's okay but now uh, there's a lot more awareness i I think awareness and and sort of that health promotion of health is a major uh, factor now, for older adults, um, compared to, say, about 50 years ago, and, and that's what I took from that piece.
0: That yeah, a big sort of social and cultural shift yes. in, in our perception towards mm-hmm. the use. And, and to be honest, I mean, I don't know. I haven't looked historically, and I'm not aware of any studies that have really looked at this historically from, you know, a data perspective, let's say, um, or an empirical perspective, to see if there's been a training changing trend. Probably because no one was measuring it you know, um, but it would be an interesting um, line of inquiry, and in I'm sure there may be some historical medical data to, to dig into it, but if you go by just population prevalence of alcohol use and tobacco in, in the past, it it probably was an issue, at least with those things. The other thing is the extent or the prevalence of uh, and availability of pharmaceutical medications has also greatly increased, as new advancements in medical science have, so that could be a good thing or a bad thing. That's another podcast to debate. <laughs> is is the is the the, the extent to which uh, we have a pill for everything, and the degree to which that to which that gets abused. Now, um, does that to say that there wasn't the abuse of medications fifty years ago? Probably not. There probably was, but we don't know about it because we weren't measuring. It. Particularly with things like it's a good question, the historical nature, particularly the shift when we talk about perhaps the awareness. And Understanding uh, of what norms are, you know, it might be the norm to have a few drinks, to have a little nip whiskey or something, and and sure, maybe that's not a problem, but maybe it is. But balancing maybe a hyperbolic response to labeling everything a problem, so there is a bit of a balancing act to think about. I'd,
2: I'd say this. Also with alcohol guidelines, I think there's new alcohol guidelines that came out in the UK quite recently, or maybe it was Canada that news confuses me because I look at that. Um, and then I think a paper or a, a systematic review came out quite recently afterwards that almost contradicted it. And I think it's quite confusing when... Um, yeah. The issue you're
0: raising with contradictory, let's say, evidence between guidelines and emerging research comes down to how hard it is sometimes to evaluate the impacts of these things, because you can't do a randomized controlled trial and say, well, half of you takes Oxycontin and the other half don't. And so I think the perspective among some clinical guidelines uh, with substance use in older adults tends to lean more on a harm reduction sort of approach. So something like that, you know, I'm not a clinician, so I'm not going to go too far into that, but I do know that harm reduction approaches tend to, to be considered more so because it's so hard to know exactly what to prescribe.
2: Cool. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add that I you thought I'd ask and I didn't, or you feel you need to add in order to bring you those know, around in a circle?
0: No, I just, I just think um, that this is a really important topic for us to consider, and I would hope that as we have more information available within our health systems, that we make use of this information and, and ask the kinds of questions that you're asking us. And these data are being produced, and um, more and more assessments are available to help support our understanding of various needs of our population. So we need to use those data to make more informed decisions around changes in policy and and practice. So um, Let's keep that in mind and keep the great questions that you've asked in mind (laughs) and and how we use those data.
2: Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And that was another What's the Crack episode on substance use in all the adults. Thank you for listening, and this is it till the new year, so happy holidays.